Um, last week we talked a little bit about telling the truth in our relationships, and I think the week before that we talked a little bit about how we can make commitments that we can actually uh, keep. And what I think is interesting, we've been sort of skirting this whole broader issue of exactly what good communication is. Well, the skirts are off today. No more skirting it. <laughs> We're right in front going to talk about communication 101. Um, but uh, as we alluded to, maybe an element of poor communication from their song, I'd like to start off with an affirmation of good communication. So I found a joke about good communications. Oh. Well, we'll see. Maybe it's, a, a, maybe it's a good joke. We'll see. A couple was chatting with some guests when the topic of marriage counseling came up. The wife, very sure of herself, commented, Oh, we'll never need that. My husband and I have an excellent relationship. My husband was a communications major in college, and I majored in theater arts. He communicates extremely well, and I can really act like I'm listening. <laughs> All right. All right. So maybe not the best recipe for good communication. But what is good communication? Well, in the book here, they set forth just a very simple and straightforward definition of it. They say that it's stating your truth clearly and inviting others to do the same. Nothing more complicated for good communication than stating your truth simply and inviting others to do the same. All right. Now you can imagine, though, that there's a, a trickiness to this element, I'm guessing. You can imagine that saying that is one thing and maybe doing it is a little different. And, and of course, I could go on with just a whole bunch of examples of how to do it and how not to do it. But you know, I think that would be boring. And so what I'd like to do is a communications makeover today. Now, have you all seen one of those makeover shows where they bring up some fellow that's, you know, hugely overweight and out of shape and whose hair looks weird and you know they they put him on a treadmill for six weeks and and get the the best makeup artist in Hollywood to make him look just like Tom Cruise well we're going to do that today so is there anyone in the audience that would like to have their communication styles made over just a volunteer it's an easy task I swear no one will be killed in the filming oh okay <laughs> yes, would you come on up that would be fun I appreciate it let me get you a microphone here. Oh, boy. <laughs> Ooh, are we on? Oh, we're, we are on. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. I'm Patricia Andresen, longtime follower, follower of our communication. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be fine today, I yeah. swear. I swear. It's going to be fine. I'm Patricia, and I'm here, and, and we'll see what you can do. Okay. All right. So what I wanted to start off with, and now these statements may not actually sound like you, but I bet we have all said things like this before. So why don't you read the first couple of these? Okay, on the negative side? Yeah. Okay. I can't give you any money. I can't help you with that. Okay. Now these are interesting statements. And they hook us in because they have an absolutely an element of truth to them, right? Yeah. Probably in, in whatever situation you're in, you're really not fe feeling like that $100 bill should leave your pocket and go somewhere else, right? So, so, so we have that urge to say, I can't give you any money. There's a trickiness about here though, right? Because most likely the other person, the thing that that immediately br brings up is, well, why couldn't you, right? 
It, it, isn't really a, uh, it isn't really a statement of fact as it is so much a statement of opinion. Because even if you don't have $100 in your pocket, you probably have what? A credit card, right? We could go to the ATM. You know, uh, it wasn't too long ago that a relative of mine wanted $5,000 to make an investment. And I thought, wow, you know, I'm just tempted to say, I don't have that kind of money. And yet, it's not really true, is it? Most of us could scrape together, you know, the $50 loan to a friend, or even in my case, the $5,000 investment thing. It isn't that we can't, and what gets us into trouble is that actually is felt. It's more like you just won't. And so how do we get around that? Here, here are a couple alternatives to those couple statements. Try those out and see if they sound any better. Okay. I'd really like some help right now. I, I'm fearful when the door is unlocked. Okay, so so um, so let's look at the negatives again. Oh, okay, sorry. No, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I'm choosing to invest somewhere else right now. So instead of me telling my uh, my cousin, well, no, I can't give you five thousand dollars. It would be more like you know to do that. I would need to open up my retirement fund. And I'm just not choosing to do that right now. Or you could say, I'm choosing to invest somewhere else. Notice here that you're making it clear that it's an actual choice of yours. It's not that you can't. Now, the other reason that the can't stories, for those of you who've been in uh, Science of Mind for a while, you know the other thing that's tricky about the can't things is when you say, I can, or I can't, or I will, or I won't, that is a wonderful affirmation, right? And you're even feeling it with some power. Now, what would be the real reason that you absolutely couldn't give anybody any money? If you didn't have any. And so what kind of an affirmation is it if we repeat to people on the street and our relatives, I can't give you any money. I can't help you out. There are only a very few reasons that you couldn't, and you don't want to go there. <laughs> so, so instead, let's make it be a choice. All right, let's move on to the, the, uh, um, the absolutes here. Okay, so... Um, so give those a try, and see okay. if they sound at all like something you've said before. You never help around the house. Get the emphasis on that. Does that is that something? And I think, and you know, I think in relationships, these are pretty common. Oh, yeah. That when when our loved one is a little bit in our face, aren't we quick to go to that place of you're you always have time for other people, but you never have time for me. You're never here to help me when I really need you. You know, you're never here around the house to help with some of the chores. Let's try try another one. You always forget to lock the door. Okay, now the thing about all of these alwayses and neverses, if first of all, is neverses is a word? I think it is. <laughs> anyway, uh, the first thing we notice about them is, well, they're not really true, right? I bet there was a time when they locked the door. I bet there was a time when, when they helped around the house. And what you're really doing is you're kind of inviting an argument if you think about it. It's like, well, what do you mean? Maybe I don't do the laundry, but I mow the lawn every week. I help around the house. I, I help to bring in the groceries. What do you mean? Of course I help around the house. And you know what? Your original statement, you never help around the house, if you really think about it, isn't the point about it anyway. It isn't that they're doing something to you, right? It's that you have a need that isn't being f fulfilled. 
So let, let's try some of the alternatives here and see if they sound any better. Okay. I'd really like some help right now. Now, isn't that more straightforward? You're really inviting participation. Now, it might be that whoever you're talking to doesn't have the time right now, but it opens up a dialogue. It opens up the ability to have a conversation about it. Oh my gosh, are you feeling overwhelmed? I see there is a lot to do around here. You know, let's figure out a time. It might not be right now, but let's figure out how I can actually help you. Whereas when, when, it, when you come like with gangbusters, you never help around the house. I'm like, <laughs> it's like, you know, either I'm going to defend my right to not help you, because after all, I work really hard, right? I pay the mortgage this month, you know? It's like, <laughs> whereas the, the simple invitation, I could really use some help around here. It's like, oh my God, I bet you could. Let's figure this out. Let's look at the next one. And, and if I may, this is sure. kind of interesting. The statement is, I'm fearful when the door is unlocked, but I often think it's better that if we explain it, when the door is unlocked, I'm fearful. Okay. You know, explain what it is instead of going with the fear first. Okay. And it helps. But, and, so. the, and the key here, of course, is let's just not challenge them that they're too stupid to lo not lock the door, right? Because that isn't what it's about. It's about when the door goes unlocked, it brings up feelings of an unease in me, it, right? It, it's a safety and security issue. And when you say that, it's like, oh my God, you're right. Well, of course I'm going to do better at that. Okay, thank you so much. You're, do you feel made over? I think probably. <laughs> thank you. I have the feeling you already knew these things, so thank you very much. Where's my spa vacation? Oh, all right. We'll work on that. We'll work on that. All right. Thank you so much. Now, I got to ask you all a question, though, about these makeover things. Okay. So we see the guy after he's had the six weeks of personal training, right? And the spray-on tan. And he's looking pretty good with his shirt buttoned down to here. And we're thinking, wow, this makeover really worked. You know, his hair was done by a professional stylist from Beverly Hills, right? And he's been on this nutrition fast track because they literally put a personal trainer and a nutritionist on this guy's ta tail through the whole makeover process that lasted eight weeks. Looking great. Do you ever wonder if you could check in with him like six months later, <laughs> right? It's like, can he style the hair to look like Tom Cruise, right? Can he make good choices in his wardrobe? Can he stick to the exercise program? You know, does he have the wherewithal after this makeover process of actually sticking to that wonderful nutritious diet? Well, now, I'm sure some do, but I'm equally sure that some people who go through one of those, um, you know, extreme makeover things, six months later, you'd go, wait a minute. He's looking a little more like the before <laughs> than the after. And so what I want to invite us to do today is maybe focus in on just one change that we could make in our communication styles, right? Because, you know, this book has, oh my gosh, this is a great book, and it probably has maybe 30 or 40 different ways that we can actively be more loving, more truthful, more forthright in our communication skills. And what I know is it kind of overwhelms me a little bit. I have to tell you that. 
So what I'd like to do today, because I think we have a better chance if we do the makeover, if we do the transformation on just one area, I think we have a lot better, um, a lot better chance of moving forward with it and kind of sticking in our lives. And then we can always circle back around. Maybe we'll use this book again next year, or maybe you guys would like to check it out on your own and, and pick up more tips. But I'm going to focus on one specific thing today, and it is when sometimes our communications go wrong. So no matter how truthful we are, no matter how straightforward we are, no matter how lovingly we are, have we, haven't we all been in that place where it's pretty much a fight? <laughs> right? The communications fight? Now, if you were like my neighbors, when I was growing up the Colsons, you could hear them three houses away. <laughs> You knew exactly when they were having one of those communications breakdowns. You know what my house was like, though? Silence. When the going got tough, we withdrew. <laughs> and you know what? They're both equally terrible. They're both equally bad ways to move forward. Because one is an escalation kind of thing where things get out of control and very hurtful things that could be said that would never actually even be meant if they were thought about. And the reverse, like in my family, it was that inward pull, it was that withdrawal, it was that, well, also her, I won't speak to her for three weeks kind of thing. <laughs> and you know what? Equally bad for its own reasons, right? There's nothing worse than the withdrawal of love, the withdrawal of the intimacy you know, that characterizes a relationship. All right, so what do we do? Some real practical steps when the going gets tough, and I want to read just a little bit from this book. In entanglements, power struggles can be the norm. Much conflict is generated over who is right, who is wrong, and whose problem it is anyway. There are no healthy ways to resolve a power struggle. To resolve a power struggle, typically your choices are agree that one person is wrong and the other is right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Isn't that what started the fight to begin with? I think so. So that's not going to happen. Now you could agree that both of you are wrong. Like on what planet? Like, oh, I guess we're both wrong. Yeah, sure, that's going to happen. Or the third one, agree that both of you are right. Now this is an interesting one. Because I think sometimes we do go there, and it actually has a limited benefit. Because if we agree that we're both right, what are we doing? We're agreeing to disagree, right? And have you ever been in that place, you know? You're talking with a friend about politics or religion or, how, or maybe your partner on how to raise the kids or whatever it is, and you come to a spot where you're both so firm in your idea of how it should go that in the end, and it even feels like throwing in the towel, doesn't it? You finally just say, you know, I think we need to stop talking about this. Let's just agree to disagree. And what we're really saying is, as they say in here, that you're going to agree that both of you are, are right in your own way, okay? So it's right for you, what I believe is right for me, and we'll never talk about it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now that works, right? The fight's over, and yet, and yet, it's not really resolved, is it? 
Because next time the topic of conversation comes around, the next time Aunt Susan is mentioned, the, the next time that the dog is going crazy and, and one person's supposed to be responsible, only maybe not, the next time that the, the child does something crazy and there's a difference on discipline or whatever it is, you're right back there again. And you're in this for the long haul. So what they recommend to do is simply to drop it and find what you do agree about. And you know, I think of this as an extremely <coughs> spiritual way of looking at things. Because when you look at it, when the two of you are arguing, you're both arguing about facts. It's like you're down in the mud. <laughs> Sometimes it even feels that way, I think. You're down in the mud, and I'm right on one side, and I'm right on the other side, and I know the best way to do this, and no, I know the best way to accomplish this. And what I know is that you wouldn't be fighting unless whatever this was was important. And if, instead of being in this lower quadrant instead, you look up and find that point of common interest, find what it is that you have in common that got you interested in this whole topic of discussion whatsoever, there is the place that you can come to agreement on. There is the place that you can build on this relationship instead of trying to pull it apart through opinions. So if it's about the kids, the place of commonality is that you love your family. You know, your children are the most important thing to you. This is the place where you build a bridge Instead of looking down at the nuts and bolts and where you disagree, you come back together again at the point of interest, the point of agreement that your children are ever important. Uh, if it's uh, whether you're locking the door or not, the place of agreement is wanting safety and security in your home. And that's the place where you start the dialogue. If the disagreement is over, uh, is over money, the place of commonality, again, it might be security. It might be feeling that you're good enough. It might be being able to treat yourself to things that you absolutely would agree on. So instead of waging a war over who's right, let us wage peace and love over what you agree about. The importance of your family, the, the need for safety in your home, you know, what, how you want to treat yourself to a, a, a new car. But, but it's probably not about the new car. It's not about the money. It's being able to feel supported and nurtured together as a couple. And you can find that spot. And so what I'd like to work on today, the, the one thing, if you will, that I would like to have the take... My microphone is being interesting today. I feel, feel like my ear is on, uh, on, on a mission of its own. Um, <laughs> but what I would like to settle in with for just a moment today is a two-step process to get us out of this argument. And the first step of it is simply to drop the complaint and instead look for that commonality of ground that's somewhere between you and above you. Look for that place that, that is the interest that you both share, the place of interest for what's important here, the place where you can agree whether it be your family, whether it be on um, you know, needing uh, support from the universe, whatever it is, there is a place of common ground, a common ground. 
You're really careful, too, about your languaging. We tr- we're going to try to limit that. Well, it's never and it's always. And do you know, Have you heard people say, you know, well, the children are always the problem or money is always the issue. And, and again, we're affirming the opposite of what we want to experience in the world. So instead of fighting over these details, of having that be, you know, generating a wedge between you, let's look up to what's common. We want to state our truth, so you might simply say things like, "I want to know if you're going to be um, if you're going to be a little late from work, so that I can plan the evening better." You know, instead of that, you're always late from work, and you never tell me. You know, I can plan the evening for us so much better if I know that you're going to be a little late, right? So instead, you're stating your truth that's somewhere in between, right? Because otherwise, he's fighting about how he didn't know soon enough, and and he's working really hard anyway. You're fighting about, well, I thought we were going to have plans tonight, and now they're upset. You know, I got home from work too, and, you know, why is your work more important than my work? And And the truth is, the whole point of the evening was what? That you would get to spend some loving time together, right? So let's appoint, let's approach it from that perspective. I was so looking forward to us spending the evening together. And you know what? If I know even half an hour ahead of time that you're going to be late, I can be looking up the movie schedules for a later showing. I can, do you know what I mean? It can be so much simpler if we really state that common ground of what we wanted to have happen. Okay. So first we drop our complaint and we stand in our own truth of what we want. That's the first step. And the second step is as simple as asking then what you can do to support the other side of this relationship in standing in their truth. So if they say, well, you know, I was caught in traffic and the reason I'm late, you know, they made me work late. And, and my truth is, my truth is not about excuses. I own up to the fact that I am home late. And what I could really use some help on is time management. I'm feeling out of control with my own life. That might be my truth. And the two of you could help each other. So the first step is to drop the complaint. Instead, pose it as what you want to have happen, what you are really looking forward to, that piece of common ground in between you that's, I think, a little higher, a little metaphysically higher, if you know what I mean, a little bit more about what the two of you want to experience together. Find that spot, and then how can I support you? If we have agreement on this, how can we support each other in achieving it? Now, I think if we can bring that to our relationships, you know, the rest of this book will fall into place. My, my grammar may not be perfect. Now and then I might say the never word or the should word <laughs> or the won't word or the you word instead of the I word or the I choose phrase or things like that. You know, because I'm human. I'm working on it. And, and God bless me. I think I get better as I, as I listen to other people talking through these things, as I read other inspirational books. I absolutely know that I'm getting better at this thing. And I know that you are too. And a lot of that can just be chaff by the side of the road if we follow the two steps of dropping our complaints instead, speaking our truth of what we're really needing, what we're really missing, 
what really would feel right for us right now. Because usually it's about some nature of love, right? I'm feeling hurt when you're late every day this week because what it says is, I'm not feeling important. I'm feeling like our relationship is a little bit sidelined, you know? Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's sadness. Maybe you can really get in touch with that absolute base feeling that's behind there. And just speak your truth. Because I'm sure that everyone in the relationship wants the relationship to succeed. And so speak out about what it would mean to you. All right. So to summarize, good communication is not being right. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Do you want to be right? Oh, I see. All right, well, I'll speak to you later. <laughs> but you know, what, I, I mean, what's interesting is often that is my initial reaction too. Often whatever has worked for me in the past seems so clearly to be the right answer that I waste a lot of time in defending something that's really just an opinion that I have. Do you know what I mean? It's not the truth for everybody. It's the truth for me. And yet, I'm like, you know, I'm like the avenging angel. It's going to be true for everyone because it's worked for me before. Instead, I'm not going to always be after going what's right. I'm going to be going after what's right for us, what's right for this relationship. I'm going to stand in my own truth and absolutely invite the other person to stand in theirs. So good communication is not about being right. It's about speaking your truth and inviting the others to do the same. And then when we speak our wants and desires, once we've diffused that argument, once we've looked at the common ground between us, we invite each other. How can we help out? I see that your goals are around more intimacy. How can I help you with that? I see that your goals are more around safety. And you know what? I feel a need for safety too. How can we work on the issue of safety in our home in a way that talks to both of us? Let's not fight about whether the door is locked or not. Do you know what I mean? Let's talk about our own innate needs for love and safety. All right. I want to close with a reading from this book and a prayer. Learn to feel and speak the truth and to support each other while opening up to that truth. In a committed relationship, you encourage each other in opening to the depths and the heights of yourselves. Are you willing to be fully alive and open to the complete range of human experiences? Are you willing to be with your deepest feelings and encourage those of your partner? If so, you are well on your way to true intimacy. Let us pray. There is one power and one beautiful presence in this universe. We call it God, but what I know is that it's also known by the name of love. And love is moving in and through and as me and every person in this room. Love makes the crooked way path. Love disperses anything unlike itself. Love is the basis for every communication, for every relationship, for every time and place where two or more people come together to interact with one another. And what I know about the world in general is that good communication is possible for everyone. It's true for me. It's true for each person in this room that each one of us is willing, is able, and is being in, engaged to speak their truths lovingly, briefly, in a sweet way, 
and engendering the other people around us to do the same, inviting them, if you will, into a greater degree of intimacy simply by speaking the truth and simply by being aware of how we might help someone else live their truth. I know this is good. I know that each person here today moves forward into this week with a better ability to to kind of pre-analyze their own words and to understand when they're speaking from the heart, when they're understanding their own emotions. I know that each person here has a, a willingness to understand their own communication styles and to bring to their style simply a greater truth of their own being. And I'm grateful for this. So grateful to be a witness to God as it takes the form of all people interacting in such beauty, in such joy, in such perfection. I simply let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you very much. Thank you.